0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, you might get a surprise when you ask your end users what they really need.
1: A lot of times when you conduct user research, it helps you take things off your product roadmap that users don't care about. So you can then reallocate those resources.
0: A cautionary tale for dealing with your agency's data deluge.
2: You do end up with perhaps too many dashboards and are we red, yellow, or green? and a push to track without drilling down Mm -hmm. into the data.
0: And the government's bottom line
3: for buying. The fact is, and I'm going to say this, and I hope you you all are not surprised when I say this, government is not a very good buyer of technology, right? Generally speaking, You know, sometimes we do a good job. Many times we suck. It's Thursday,
0: June 2nd, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency will host a series of listening sessions around software security. The sessions will focus on software bills of material. The eight virtual sessions CISA lists in the Federal Register run July 12th through 21st. Operation Cyber Dragon's underway at Navy Fleet Cyber Command. 10th Fleet Deputy Chief Information Officer Sandy Redesky tells FedScoop the first phase focuses on cloud asset vulnerabilities. Radeski says phase two will begin in mid-July. It'll run for about six weeks. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. A long list of CIOs and CTOs across government are coming to the UiPath Together Summit. You'll learn about automation from leaders in government and industry. It's happening at the Ritz-Carlton, Pentagon City, June 14th. You can find a link to learn more and sign up in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Agencies across government ask Congress for money to support the Biden administration's executive order on customer experience in their fiscal 2023 budget request. But there are at least three things agencies can do with no money. Kelly O'Connor's associate director of the Boston Consulting Group, former product manager at the U.S. Digital Service. Kelly, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. My sense is that you had an understanding that agencies are struggling with figuring out what they can do now instead of what they have to wait for budget support for is that the reason why you wanted to lay out these three things?
1: Yeah, exactly, Francis. You know, some um, some things will require additional funding in the future, but there are lots and lots of things agencies can do right now to improve customer experience that wouldn't cost any additional
0: money. All right. The first one that you write about is talk to your customers early and often and make sure to include employees in your definition of customers. How does one step back and really define who their customers are, both internal and external, Kelly?
1: Yeah. So one of the things in the the executive order that was issued in December, um, it provided so much great direction and really actionable things agencies could do, like go out to the field, talk to your customers, create journey maps, personas, things like that. But it continues to define customers as the external public. And so one of the things that's really important is to consider internal employees of your agency as customers too, because how can you deliver a great customer experience to the public if government employees have antiquated tools or are really struggling and have multiple screens open on their computer all day and doing these manual workarounds? So we always view employees in the same way we view external customers. They're all all customers.
0: Uh, You uh, did a lot of work at VA while you were with USDS. And VA, for whatever reason, has a really good perception of that, I think. What drove that? What got VA so aware, so on board with the idea that they did the things that you talked about, developed journey maps for their employees? They're one of the only agencies that I know of that's done that.
1: Once you leave headquarters and leave your office to go do field research, you start um, experiencing a tremendous amount of empathy, not just for patients or veterans trying to access benefits. You start to really understand some of the amazing things that employees at VA and across government are doing to actually help veterans and, and um other citizens. So once you start doing this research and really understanding what problems are we trying to solve and what solutions can we put in place that help employees deliver deliver a better experience, I, I think that's the key.
0: Uh, you write in this piece: make sure they have the tools; those internal customers, those those agency employees, make sure they have the tools they need to deliver an excellent CX to the public. That sometimes will require money. Uh, is, are there workarounds to try to figure out at least how to demonstrate to the employees you're trying that seems to have a tremendous amount of value right off the bat?
1: Yeah. I think building momentum with quick wins, like one of the, one of my favorite product managers is Marty Kagan. And he says, find out what makes your users miserable and fix that first. (laughs) So you know, we're, everyone I think is trying to work in a more iterative way. So, if you can find out what the biggest pain points are, both for the public and for your employees, and fix those things first, that's going to go a long way to build trust and build momentum. And a lot of times, what people think is when you go out and start conducting research and asking users what they need, I think sometimes product teams are scared they're going to be inundated with new requirements and all these new things they have to do, which cost money. But a lot of times when you conduct user research, it helps you take things off your product roadmap that users don't care about. So you can then reallocate those resources.
0: All right. The second item that you write about, the second step is recognizing the difference between traditional project management and other methodologies like product management and human centered design. That strikes me as a difficult step for the government to take just because of the old that's how we've always done it routine.
1: Yeah, and a lot this is a complex problem. I certainly don't want to, you know, oversimplify this, but if you go onto USA Jobs and look for job openings in the government, I mean, think of all the digital products that government, you know, launches and manages, you you'll find thousands of open positions for project managers and program managers, but that's a completely different discipline and skill set than a product manager, right? So, with project management you're, it's really plan-driven. You're managing cost and schedule and risk. That's all important, right? But it's not going to help you deliver a product that is easy to use and really effective for users. That's a whole different discipline, um, which is product management. So I think you know, we see agencies doing this already, and teams like the digital service and others are bringing these skill sets into government
0: to help them build better products. Are, is that momentum hard to maintain? Or does it kind of just grow as time goes on? Is that something that needs to be nurtured that needs to be uh, cared for?
1: I think it grows because it's, you know, once you launch a thing that works, it's really easy to tell a story, right? Tell an outcome driven story and show results. Um, The other thing you want to do is assume not everything's going to be successful, right? So the great thing about launching a tiny thing that delivers value is you can pivot. And and learn. So it's an experiment, right? So I think government's appetite for risk needs to increase a little bit and they need to be okay with, you know what? Not everything's going to be successful and we have to be okay. If something's not working, turn it off.
0: All right. Here's what you say in this piece that uh, an agency can do now. Mandate human-centered design and product methodologies on all of your digital work update your agency role descriptions and training requirements to grow in-house product management and human-centered design skills what resources are available for agencies to help them do those things kelly and and it strikes me maybe the more difficult one is to grow that in-house product management human-centered design skills cohort the not just the what the skills are that the people have but the number of people that have those skills is that right
1: Exactly. I mean, I think a lot, I think a majority of the project managers in government probably already have a lot of these skills, right? They're just calling them something different. So it's not like a total, um, you know, revamp of your in house talent. It's really just upskilling a little bit of the current staff that you have. So, one example, is if you um, think about project management, something you do is um, user user acceptance testing, right? You build a thing and then you test it at the end to see if it works. Well, an easy way to you know reskill or upskill some of your project managers is to let them know one UAT is not user research, right? So you know that's an easy thing. It could be like watch a video or come to a brown bag, and we'll show you how to go out and actually do some human centered design and talk to users. You don't have to build anything. You can use paper prototypes. And if you talk to you know a very small number of users, you're going to get so much information on the front end that's going to save you rework on the back end.
0: Um, what you're suggesting here, too, that might be a little more complex mm-hmm. than it sounds on the surface, this sounds like a culture shift. This sounds like a, a changing the way an agency thinks that is maybe not expensive, but takes a fair amount of time. Mandating human-centered design and product methodologies is not something that historically agencies have been good at.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's already happening. So it's a mindset shift, not just of government, but also vendors. So in the US, IT is heavily outsourced in in the government, right? So it's a mindset shift on both sides. And it's really thinking about, instead of coming in on day one, and I've been on teams you know, earlier in my career that have done this, you wanna build something. Let's start building, day one. We have to show results and put out a status report. And the mindset shift you're talking about is, let's step back and really understand what problem are we solving.
0: All right, the third step that you write about in this piece actually pertains to vendors too. Change the way you select and partner with vendors who help build your products. What's happening now or what has happened historically that needs to change, Kelly?
1: I think right now we have an ecosystem of really strong vendors um, who provide much needed and great services to government, right? But what you'll see is a lot of these vendors are the same vendors over and over and over again, especially for large contracts. And so the point we're trying to make here is that we need to encourage new companies, smaller companies, product companies who would never want to work in government because of all the barriers to entry, we need to attract those new kinds of service and product companies. So there really is more competition and more of these essential human-centered design and product skill sets.
0: How much of that though is chicken and egg? Because it strikes me, the vendors probably continue to provide the same stuff in the same way, because that's probably what the agencies continue to ask for. And so that's the cycle. I guess we go back to step two to think about how we break that cycle, huh?
1: Yeah. And a lot of it's the procurement process. Like You know that process is a complex process. So the first time through it is the hardest, but once you know it, and that's why you see a lot of the same vendors over and over again, they're really good at winning work, but then they don't always have the right skills to actually deliver the product work.
0: Kelly O'Connor, it's great to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Thank you. You can find a link to Reed Kelly's piece in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Monday's program, the State Department's Cyber Future. The Chief Information Security Officer at State, Donna Bennett, is on Monday afternoon's Daily Scoop Podcast. You get it at Fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Coast Guard has completed a financial management modernization. It's just one example of agencies trying to transition from legacy systems to commercial off-the-shelf products and services. Michelle Singer is chief executive officer of Mindful Advance LLC. She's former director of the Interior Business Center at the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. She tells me sometimes that kind of system modernization struggles for attention.
2: If you've got, you know, gross to net, on time, for the vast majority of people, they don't want to put the resources towards modernizing that or making it be what it could be. Yeah. And and quite frankly, the risk is that there is a crisis at some point. And if there is, it will be a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar crisis mm-hmm. that has to be fixed um, quickly and at a much greater expense and so when you look at systems, shared services, anything that's government-wide, we need champions and, and more robust strategic thinking around how to address those issues because no one person owns it to push it forward and so it's not on anyone's specific agenda so it's on no ones. Mm -hmm. And um, I would love to see bigger thinking about um, the supply side of these services. The supply side is very unstable. Mm -hmm. Some of these shared service providers are housed at agencies that have no nexus with the services being provided. Uh, The Department of the Interior is a large land management agency uh, with an incredible portfolio of services they deliver that has nothing to do with housing the interior business center and acquisitions financial management um, and payroll and human capital management so until you stabilize the supply side and by that i mean a new secretary comes in finds out they house a large shared services organization, says, why is this in my portfolio? Can't we get rid of it and put it someplace else? Well, how, how do you build credibility with your customers when every two to three years they start hearing rumblings you're gonna go away? Mm-hmm. So there, there's just um, a lack of ownership of some of these big issues. Uh, and there were some great efforts in years past uh, where OMB took the lead, various people really um, put a stake in the ground and did everything they could to address the issue, and they ran out of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I see as, as something that's, that's underlying, um, not just, say, shared services or IT or acquisition or it's anything that runs um, across the agencies of the federal government.
0: I'm about to ask you something that I wonder if it exists, and if it does, to what degree of intricacy or uh, or or detail, and that is it, it, to this idea of building a constituency. So a political appointee comes in, or a group of them come in. They have 18 to 20 more, 24 month expiration dates stamped on their foreheads when they show up the first day. So what is the ongoing? operation inside an agency to explain to those people what they do but also to help basically evangelize to them to get them to understand this is why this is important this is why this matters and so the handoff from the last person was this and we're at this point in where we need to go to your point beyond the 18 to 24 months that that person sits in that chair
2: it's it's It sits primarily with the senior executives uh, in the agencies, and so uh, when it works well, there is often some also political appointees who come in and they're returning. They have existing relationships from prior administrations yeah. they have knowledge and trust already with some portion of the cadre of senior executives within the agencies and that's where you know some magic can happen quite frankly because you can start day 1 getting something done you have the opportunity uh, i speak as a as a former senior executive mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to speak open frankly, you you can skip the niceties and in the introductions and jump right into here's the things that were going really well, we don't want to stop or lose ground. Here's what wasn't working well, you're going to want to pay attention to this mm. uh, and really putting it out there with good data, with supporting evidence that it's it's not because I as an individual think this is so, I can give you. Uh, facts and data to support these being real issues that you want to address. Mm-hmm. Um, you also take the approach of l- let me give you some quick wins. Let me give you some success. I can deliver for you in this way. And that's, an, that's, that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's challenging. Um, it's tactical, uh, and you really can deliver for the agencies and then for your stakeholders and the taxpayers. And it gets better when that happens. But when you have a large turnover, as we've had in a number of the agencies, both at the senior executive level and throughout the ranks, there isn't the deep well of knowledge of the agency to be able to do that. And a lot of these agencies are really you know they are built. The leadership is built on personal relationships. People who've known each other. Sometimes at other agencies. Sometimes they've worked in that agency with each other for decades. When that continuity is broken, there's a disruption that allows for new growth, but there's also a disruption that prevents the continuity. So I think what we've seen over the last three to four years um, with A lot of people leaving, changing jobs, retirements, having also in response to the pandemic to make different choices about their career paths and how they're going to work. We're seeing a lack, I think, right now of those types of communications happening. I think we are getting returning politicals into the agencies who have some knowledge but a lot of the people they had worked with before are gone. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to start from scratch to build relationships and trust and learn that on top of the remote workforce and figuring out how to transition people back to offices or allow for greater remote work has, has taken all the, the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. And as that sucks up all the oxygen, there's been very little progress in some, some nuts and bolts of governance. Mm-hmm.
0: Final thought, Michelle, you used the terms data and evidence a moment ago, and I wonder if your sense, with all the emphasis on data over the last number of years, and then we have the Evidence Act and a number of other frameworks, legislation, guidance, blah, 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 is it your sense that the deliverables from those are giving agencies, both the careers and the politicals, the data and the evidence that they need to make those decisions with confidence, which was the point of the whole thing. How do we use this to make decisions better and make better decisions than we did before when we didn't have access to this or or as much of this?
2: I think in some instances, yes, but you know the old garbage in, garbage out. You do end up with perhaps too many dashboards and are we red, yellow, or green? and a push to track without drilling down mm-hmm. into the data. And some of that is bandwidth. Um, there's a lot of vacancies. There's a lot of empty seats. And so the bandwidth to collect good data and then to understand it so you can put it to use is more limited than I think many of us would like to see in order to make use of um, those tools Mm -hmm. um folks are doing better i think uh at at collecting good data and being less fearful of reporting negative information um there's there's kind of a period of of what i would call almost you know amnesty at the start of an administration where, where you get to bring out all the dirty laundry and say this is where the real problems are let's fix it and if you if you bring that honest data to the table um you can really make some headway, but i, I do worry about the um, the the complete accuracy of it, the willingness to report um and send up negative information um data that shows lacking performance um it's that takes that takes courage and fortitude to do mm-hmm. um and a willingness then to be held accountable to solve the problem so that's that's an issue. And then ultimately, like I said, just just bandwidth um, is a challenge right now.
0: Michelle Singer, the former director of the Interior Business Center. You can read more about financial management system modernization and shared services in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Never trust always verifies the essence of zero trust. If you want to secure your organization, you need to verify more than just users. You also need to secure devices. Tanium can help you gain clarity and control across all endpoints to secure your perimeter. Visit taniumcom slash federal to learn more. Agency back-to-office plans all list implicit or explicit technology elements. Remote work is just one of the tech pieces of those plans. Sonny Hashmi is Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration and former Chief Information Officer of the agency. At the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference, he tells moderator Tim Smith in a hybrid work environment, technology is going to be more important than ever.
3: So much so that I've actually just recently um, uh, created a new position in FAS uh, for a person who's going to be leading all of our workplace initiatives. Because FAS does a lot of workplace stuff, y'all. I don't know if you know this, but like we do furniture, we do office supplies, we do technology. And all of that is going to be changing quite a bit, right? So." Now, technology, both front-end technology, digital services, system solutions, modernization, and back-end technology, how people work and collaborate with each other, how they share information, how they share data, all of that is going to need to be continuously rethought to enable an environment where people can virtually work with each other and get the best ideas, collect, you know, collaborate on the best ideas in an organization. We have to be ready for that future. Uh, All of... It's going to affect all of you all because we're going to be looking to you all to say, you know, how do your teams work together? How do you source the best talent from across the country? Uh, I don't want to have to compete with y'all for talent in the DC area. I can't, right? But I would love to source talent from North Carolina, from Arizona, from everywhere else. Right. And if I can't create an environment where that talent can be fully productive and engaged and you know, bringing its best minds together, then I failed. Right? So that's, it's imperative on me to create an environment where we can do that. Right just, just like it is important for you, uh, imperative for you guys. So we're working in, we're walking headfirst into this bold new reality that I think not all of us has figured out. None of us, I think has totally quite figured out exactly the nuances and how it's all going to work, but we're going to have to make it work. And so that's, our, that's our focus. So as an example, FAS uh, is going to be 75% remote only as we move forward. That means 25% of my staff are going to have a requirement to come into the office in any, in any sense True of the right. word. Doesn't mean that the rest of us aren't going to get together. We're going to do off We're going to get together. We're going to do retirement parties. We're going to celebrate. We're going to come together to ideate. But there's not going to be a requirement for folks to come into an office, which is great. Because then I can do more creative recruitment and uh, allow for more work-life balance for folks and, and keep them engaged and happy and working at fast.
4: And that's great. because you know, We've heard consistently at this conference, um, Todd Hager addressed it, you know, the, the challenge of talent. And that you know the talent doesn't need to be inside the Beltway. You know, uh, all of it doesn't need to be there. Oftentimes it isn't. Oftentimes it isn't. The best person, if they happen to be in Illinois, that's the person you want. Absolutely. So, well, that's great to hear. Um, You know, when I think of GSA, when I think of FAS, you know, you guys are all about how do you do things more efficiently, more effectively. You know, if if they go and read your bio or they go and take a look at the website, you'll talk about how are you saving the taxpayer payer's money. what plans do you guys have for continuing to be more efficient and more effective in the tools, products, services that um, you deliver to and for our country?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great question because um, there's not one answer to it, right? right. Uh, the fact is that we uh, have a responsibility. Our mission requires us to continue to think about ways to bring the federal purchasing power together and leveraging that purchasing power to negotiate better deals for the federal government, right? That's kind of what we do. What's interesting is that historically FAS has done, you know, primarily stayed in the acquisition lane and we do a lot of acquisitions, right? We help agencies do acquisitions. We do it on their behalf. So we create uh, shared um, acquisition vehicles that agencies can use and, and, and industry can participate in. But increasingly, we're also uh, offering expertise and shared services, right? Because what's interesting is that, like if you think about the future being digital, some things are going to require a shared service approach versus a purchasing approach okay. like so think of an employee think of a citizen that goes to engage with their local DMV and then they, look, they go and file taxes and then they go get their veteran benefits right that digital identity, for example, needs to be a shared service that is managed in one place across all levels of government because That citizen doesn't want to go and create three accounts with three different experiences and three, like like I already provided my information to DMV. Why am I now providing it to the veteran? Because to a citizen, it's just government. It's all government. You all figure it out, work with each other and make my life easier. Right? And so we need to do better at all levels of government. And so some of these things, for example, identity proofing, and identity management, identity validation, at least needs to be provided as a shared service across government. It doesn't mean that we're going to invent the products. You guys are going to invent the products. But we're going we're to provide a mechanism to deliver that product consistently across the government and that's uh, that's login.gov for example okay, yep. other examples like that are you know where we need to kind of have a consistent trusted experience a capability that all of the government can leverage so there's a lot of shared services that we're building and deploying and, and scaling and that's not an easy problem by the way it's a very difficult thing to do many of you know this Um, but then there's also going to be a need for us to have bespoke experiences and different solutions for different agencies and that's where the acquisition approach comes in. But all of this to say that going back to talent, some of the talent that's going to help us figure out AI and quantum and zero trust and all the things that we talked about is in very short supply, right? right? So we cannot possibly have an environment no matter how hard we want to try to make it happen that every agency has the world's best experts on quantum and AI and machine learning and all this stuff. It's not gonna happen, right? So those, those experts need to exist within your companies that we can, we can leverage and partner with you, but also need to exist in government in a way that can be deployed for different projects when needed. And so we're also looking to build, continue to build internal expertise that can drop ship into agencies, help them think about the best way to buy or deploy something and then go to the next project. Okay. And so that's where 18F and Centers of Excellence come in. So we, we, we look at this in an entire ecosystem, upfront uh, you know, expertise to be able to help craft the right narrative, craft the right story, craft the right requirements, acquisition solutions to then partner with you all to kind of then deploy capability and then shared services that you can deploy into those solutions that you don't have to reinvent over and over again. Um, the fact is, and I'm gonna say this, and I hope you know, you all, but I'm not surprised when I say this, government is not a very good buyer of technology, right? Generally speaking, you know, sometimes we do a good job, many times we suck. And so we need to do better so that you all can do better. Nobody wants to work on a failed project, nobody wants to work on a boondoggle, like none of you all want to work on a project that doesn't succeed. But more often than not, the projects don't succeed because we, the government, did not do enough discovery, enough thinking, enough architecture, enough planning, to be able to articulate our needs in a way that can be, that leads to success. So we have a lot of work to do. We're scaling as fast as we can to make sure that we can provide that assistance to federal agencies through TTS and other places. Laura was here yesterday. They're doing an incredible amount of work around zero trust. We just issued a zero trust guide for agencies so that they can start thinking about practically how to get to zero trust. All of that work leads to then eventually those agencies being better buyers. So that when they come to you, your solution they're, they're more thoughtful about how they can engage with you, and it's when when it's successful for you, it's successful for us. So there's a lot of work for us to do to scale these kinds of practices, but we have to do it. Otherwise, right. like we don't have the luxury of not figuring it out now and then continue to kind of go down the same rabbit hole.
4: So, so um, first of all, many times we suck is now trending on Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah. um, uh, but no, to get back to conversation when <laughs> I get back, don't I? Um, but you touched on it a little bit, um, and we've talked a lot about it here. CX, customer experience. Um, I, I know you guys have always been, you know, paying attention to customer experience. Probably a little bit more now. It's 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 the hot thing. And these are your customers uh, here, Absolutely. in many cases. Um, so so
3: talk to us a little bit about where. How do you guys? How are you looking at CX now? So I, I, I hope it's not a hot uh, just a hot thing right now. Re- I mean, I hope it's not one of those things where two years from now, we're like, well, the other thing is a hot thing now, so CX is not important. I can't tell you how many, like, so r- prior to be joining GSA, I was in uh, the private sector, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where just a better citizen experience or customer experience could have averted disaster. Yep. Right? And this is private sector, public sector, it's it's, it's not just a nice-to-have. I think too many people think of CX as a nice-to-have. We'll build the system, we'll build the logic, the database will be triple encrypted and really good, and then at some point we'll put a pretty front end on it and we'll call it a day. That's just the wrong approach. To me, citizen experience is starting with the citizen. Don't build anything until you've had the real chance and time to do user Research that user research should lead to user stories, so it should determine what we build. It shouldn't be let's just build a whole bunch of things, and then like, we'll train the users at some point. It should be the other way around, right? So when you go down that path, you start with the user, you put them at the center of your journey, and you build for them then guess what? Your product is gonna be wildly adopted because it's actually designed to do something the user wants. So that's to me the heart of CX, right? So actually for the first time, I think, the President's management agenda has CX as one of the three cornerstone things. That's never happened, That's fantastic. GSA is actually the co-lead for that particular uh, vertical. So CX is not just technology too, by the way. It's not just a pretty website. It's not just a you know like a, 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 a you know pretty design on the same thing. CX traverses all channels. It's when you walk into the to the office and fill out a form. It's when you call the call center. It's when you go to the website. It's when you meet somebody face to face. All of that is CX. needs to kind of harmonize together. It needs to provide an end to end journey. It's all CX, right? So it's more than just a pretty friend. So what we're doing. We're thinking about our operation, and we're thinking about where it makes sense for us to push for a digital channel versus where it makes sense for us to continue to have a person, person-to-person channel, right? So just recently, um, one of the things that we're doing, for example, one of the commitments I have is to make it dead easy to do business with GSA. This is literally one of my goals in my performance plan. So what are we doing so far on that? We've deployed a new buyer experience. We just recently deployed it a few months ago, well, a couple few weeks ago. And we're hoping that to the extent that we can move more transactions to digital market research, price negotiation, uh, contract lookup, there's a lot of things that contracting officers do that literally require them to log into multiple systems or go to a book or like call somebody. So we wanna, we wanna help them kind of get those answers as quickly as possible through digital channels. Number two, we've uh, deployed a new vendor support center about six, four, five months ago. That's for, for all those companies who are trying to get on schedules, for example. Right. We get so many questions. And then this leads to CX problems, right? I try to go and get on schedule, I get stuck somewhere. The only option I have is to call somebody and wait, and like many days pass by, I get a call back, maybe. Or the contracting officer is too busy and they're going to get back to me in the order the call was received. So we're trying to kind of make sure that people can have 90% of their questions answered at their own, uh, at their own time and their own luxury. So all of that is happening through the vendor support center. We're about to deploy a brand new scheduled roadmap, which means that it's basically going to be a tick of, you know, so you need the federal s- marketplace. You want to get on our contract vehicles. Here's the steps you follow Some and visit like environment. It has templates that you can pre-fill like all those kind of things. So, Where we can deploy digital tools to make it easier for you all to do business with us and our customers to buy through us, we're doing that. The Commissioner
0: of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA, Sonny Hashmi, with moderator Tim Smith, at the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. You can read more about what Fast is doing with technology in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow afternoon. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.